You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's Tuesday, July 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Americans' relationship with college is complicated, and according to a new poll, many think that it might not be worth the cost and time commitment. Overall, most people believe that the benefits outweigh the cost long-term, and those with bachelor's degrees usually earn 75% more than they would if they only had a high school diploma. But the pandemic also plays a big part in this, as enrollment has been down 1.3 million students since March 2020. Chris Quintana, education reporter at USA Today, joins us for how many still value higher education, but feel it's too expensive. Next, could your smartphone be ruining your memory? We're increasingly outsourcing much of our memory to an external device like our phones, and we're missing out on some of the complex actions our brains should be doing. Experts say constant distractions from notifications are keeping us from moving memories to long-term storage. Another downfall is relying too much on GPS step-by-step directions, which can prevent us from improving spatial memory abilities. Rebecca Seal, contributor to The Guardian, joins us for the rise of digital amnesia. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I doubt whether we'll get the entire funding for community colleges, but I'm not going to give up on community colleges as long as I'm present. Joining us now is Chris Quintana, education reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a question that has long been asked. Is college worth it? Is the expense for it worth it? Because I think everybody roundly agrees that more education is a good thing. We want others around us to be more educated. We want the country to be educated. But when it comes to these skyrocketing costs of college, it's a tough thing. And we're seeing it play out in other conversations as well when we look at what's happening with student debt. You know, it's higher than it's ever been. There's conversations about whether we're going to eliminate some of that student debt on the federal level. There's so many questions surrounding this. And there was a recent poll done by USA Today and Public Agenda talking about this and seeing how people feel about this. It's still, while uh, everybody agrees that the benefits of a college degree does outweigh the cost, Man, everybody feels like it's hampering them down how expensive things are. So, Chris, what are we seeing in the numbers here? And, and what you said is, is a really a good indication of just sort of the disparity or, or juxtaposition of, of, of feelings that Americans have towards higher ed. You know, I, I think that the top line that really stuck out to me was 
you know, nine in 10 Americans think that high school graduates all deserve an equal opportunity to go to college. At the same time, about nine in 10 in Americans also said that no one should have to go to college to, to make a decent living, <laughs> right. right? So there's a little bit of a, a, a disparity there. And I think, it, you know, a lot of this touches on cost when you look at the poll and, and sort of the responses across the political spectrum. You see people very frustrated with the cost of college and, and also the time it takes to get through a four-year education. So there's a lot of kind of, I would say, uh, just sort of infrastructural sort of challenges in, in getting through a degree, right? For some folks who come from, you know, maybe from richer families, they, they can afford a college education outright. But for any lower middle, you know, income Americans, it may involve some amount of federal aid or, or even taking out student loans. And, and as you mentioned, as the student loan portfolio continues to grow, I think that 1.7 trillion roughly right now, I think that's just heavier on people's minds if it's worth borrowing all that money to get a degree that they don't know that it will necessarily lead to a job right away. Right, exactly. You know, one of the words that stood out in this whole write-up about how people feel about this is exclusionary. And a lot of that has to go with the pay disparities and costs of all of this. But some people feel like they're just X'd out of this whole thing. If you're not coming from a well-off family or somebody that can handle the costs of it, they feel almost like it's so much harder to do. And another uh, thing that people put in there, how expensive and time-consuming it is for working adults. That was one of the things I struggled with in going to school. You know, I was, uh, had a job as well, and, you know, you're spending hours there, and you got to go to classes in the off time and, and still do homework and study and take your test. And that time commitment is so hard when, unfortunately, sometimes education can't be the number one time priority. And, you know, that tracks with what one of the respondents uh, told me in the poll, this gentleman named Michael Lamb. He served in the military for 20 years and, and got the GI Bill, which is a federal benefit that, that allows um, you know, our veterans to help cover most of the costs associated with the college education. But, you know, the thing that really stood out to him was just like, it's that amount of time that you sit out of the workforce that, that was really challenging for folks. And colleges, and then that's like another thing that we found in, in the poll, about three in five Americans say, they degree is too time-consuming and expensive, right? So it's, it's kind of both these things. And, and a lot of the conversations that we see around sort of addressing some of the issues with college access is, you know, we'll make college free. And that goes to part of it, but, but it doesn't answer sort of the whole question as we've sort of seen here in the poll. Tell me a little bit about how COVID-19, how the pandemic played a role in education. You know, we've talked a lot about these themes and stories on the podcast. You know, when we're talking about younger kids, it was a huge disruptor, the remote work. We're seeing kids go back to school and teachers saying kids just are just not up to speed and things like that. But when we're talking about our high school kids and our college uh, kids, it's completely different, right? Uh, they missed so many, the high school kids missed so many things at the end of their high school years. Going into college, it was remote work. And even a lot of times people felt like, well, I'm paying so much money, it's not even paying off, especially right now because we're doing remote work. I'm not getting that full college experience. And what we've seen is that enrollment numbers have declined significantly. I think higher education institutions have lost nearly 1.3 million students since the start of the pandemic. That's correct. And, you know, that's what largely those numbers are coming from the National Student Clearinghouses Research Center. And, and, you know, I spoke with the director of that center and, you know, he was telling me that there's a couple of things kind of going on there. You know, at the start of the pandemic, there was obviously that pivot to digital classes. And, and you know, I wrote extensively about uh, students struggling with that. And, and for a lot of them, just the expense and the challenge of, of trying to live a normal life during the pandemic and also trying to get their college courses just wasn't feasible. But we're a little further out beyond that now. 
now and, and the widespread availability of, of vaccines have made it such that most colleges are, are back in person, but the enrollment numbers haven't really rebounded, right? And so kind of what we're seeing there is the workforce is really surging right now. And, and so if you, this kind of gets back to the expense of time and cost question, right? So if you're looking down the barrel of four to six years of, of a college education, and there's also this, this sort of job that's hiring immediately for 20 to $25 an hour. If you're a student trying to make that decision, it, it's hard to say what, what the right thing is there, right? I, I think some of the experts I've spoken to say that, you know, these jobs are here now. But, you know, when you're looking into the future, you know, I think it's something like 40 percent of jobs are, are going to be available to people with bachelor's degrees, yeah. right? So it's, it's kind of this trade-off between, like, what's going to serve me now and what's going to serve me long term. And, and I don't know what the answer is, but that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think one of the people you spoke to said, uh, well, you don't need a bachelor's degree to have a great job, but, you know, <laughs> you really need that bachelor's degree to have that great job. It's kind of that catch-22 right there. And one thing that kind of yeah. came up in, in a lot of these polls, the numbers here, is that despite community colleges being hit really hard by enrollment declines, they're still looked upon very favorably. A lot of students still were enrolling in skilled trade programs, which were important in, in areas that we need right now, construction, transportation, material moving. This is all stuff that we kind of need help with because of uh, what was happening with supply chain. So at least that can maybe catch up uh, on itself. But community colleges in a tough spot right there. They really are. And, and you know, they're, they're kind of in this position where I think they've, they've lost 800,000 students roughly since the start of the pandemic, right? And, and these are institutions that already were seeing sort of declines in, in their enrollment. Uh, and then these are also institutions that serve higher numbers of students coming from, from poor families or, or students of color, right? And so one of the things that someone had pointed out to me is, you know, people can have a favorable opinion of community colleges or, or colleges generally and not be able to afford the cost or the time to get there, right? So it's, it's like the enrollment may be down there, but, but that may not be because people don't like community colleges. It just may be that there's a lot of other kind of competing factors. And again, that workforce piece goes a long way to that as well. Uh, another interesting number in here, 66% of Americans say colleges are stuck in the past instead of meeting the needs of today's student. Everybody roundly agrees that education is important and it's a smart choice in people's lives. But man, is it expensive. And that's the other thing, which, like, like I said, leads into all the other conversations about what's going to happen with student loan forgiveness. President Biden has said that he wants to do something maybe in the realm of $10,000 student loan debt forgiveness per borrower. But, you know, nothing has been set in stone that whatever plans that they had that they were working on really fell through at the moment. So we'll see. This is an ongoing thing. The country has always had these troubles with education. So we'll see where we end up on the other side. Chris Quintana, education reporter at USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you again. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like... <sighs> 
being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. She said that you've got to have enough original thoughts in your head in order to start having insightful thoughts or intellectually creative ideas. And that's harder to do when you don't have as much stuff going into your brain because you're interrupting the process by which it's stored. Joining us now is Rebecca Seal, contributor to The Guardian. Thanks for joining us, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about something pretty interesting, uh, the rise of digital amnesia. So could our smartphones be ruining our memory? And we all know how much we rely on our smartphones for all sorts of things, calendar reminders, everything, uh, shopping lists, anything that it can be. We're constantly offloading a lot of this memory stuff to our smartphones and other devices. And, you know, as we aren't working our memory out, could we be forgetting more stuff? Are, you know, is our, our memories getting weaker? And so there's been some experts, uh, memory experts that have looked into this and they kind of fall on both sides of it. But, you know, there's just a lot of interesting stuff with it. So, Rebecca, what are we seeing with this? How much are our smartphones affecting our memory right now? Well, I think one of the problems is that because we've only really had smartphones for 15 or so years, we don't really know what the long-term implications of using them are going to be because we're kind of conducting a longitudinal study on ourselves. <laughs> so um, the the impacts are just unclear. There are a few things that seem to be clearer. So for example, the ABCD study, which is running in the US at the moment, um, following 10-year-olds for 10 years, um, has shown that younger children or um, young people who use a lot of tech have something called cortical thinning, which is usually associated with older age. It, it's a natural part of aging, but it doesn't usually happen at the rate that it's ha happening in, within the study. And um, it's associated with neurodegenerative diseases in later life. Now, that could have no implications for kids. That couldn't mean anything thing at all. We don't, we just don't know, right. but it could obviously mean quite profound things. I kind of love these long-term studies like that, right? It tends to answer a lot of questions, at least with that. And you said they were 10 years old when they started this thing. So we'll get them through all their very formative years, teenage years, when mm -hmm. you're heavy, heavy users of smartphones and other apps like that. Yeah. So it's a really, really useful study. It's not, I don't think it's the only thing they're studying, um, but it's part of it. Uh, and there are, there are other things that we know. So for example, people have shown time and time again, that if you interrupt people as they're reading or studying or listening to a lecture with um, smartphone notifications, then they don't remember the content of what they've read or heard as well, or even at all at times. So we know for sure that it interrupts the kind of memory formation process. And there's also some data to show that it might be interrupting the process where memory is encoded from short term storage yeah. into longer term storage. And the implications of that are obviously quite huge if it turns out to be a problem. Um, so there's one writer, Catherine Price, who I interviewed for my piece uh, about this. And she was saying that her concern is that it will minimize our ability to be insightful. She likened it to having enough ingredients to bake a cake. <laughs> she said that you've got to have enough original thoughts in your head in order to start having insightful thoughts or intellectually creative ideas. 
And that's harder to do when you don't have as much stuff going into your brain because you're interrupting the process by which it's stored. I mean, and that's quite frightening. (laughs) I I have to say that I kind of feel that happen to myself sometimes. You know, I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of research stuff for when we do these interviews for the podcast and all. And I have my phone there, right, for emails and and other notifications. And it's constantly disrupting me. Then I have to go back and reread portions I've already read of stories. And yeah, it's hard to keep all that stuff together and, you know, make those cohesive thoughts. Hopefully when we get to the podcast recordings at that time. But yeah, I mean, just anecdotally, that just rings true to me. And, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, offloading things to other sources, right? Writing notes, all this stuff. But the smartphone Mm -hmm. is kind of designed to hog up all our attention. And it's impacting us in a bunch of different ways. One of the experts that you spoke to, I thought was really interesting, talks about our reliance on GPS even. Back in the day, I knew how to read a Thomas Guide, the map and get around and all that. Now I strictly rely on the GPS and I feel like my sense of direction has suffered because of that. But, you know, they say that we're not doing these complex calculations in our brains anymore and it's really hurting us now. Yeah, so he went, Professor um, Oliver Hart at, um, sorry, Dr. Oliver Hart at McGill, um, who studies memory. And he is very concerned about our use of GPS because he thinks that it relates to reduced gray matter in the hippocampus um, or reduced gray matter activity. And um, I mean, I'm no neuroscientist, I should make that clear. But um, he was saying that, you know, that could have really long term implications for, for our brain health in the longer term. He also worries about the kind of very binary nature of the instructions that we get when we follow GPS. So the kind of right, left, stop, start, green, red kind of thing that we get. Um, He was concerned about how that teaches the brain to think over the very long term. If you're using GPS a lot, that it becomes much less kind of computationally complex in terms of calculating different angles by which you can approach something different routes that you could take to avoid obstructions, that kind of thing. And he worries that there are kind of knock-on effects for for other kinds of computational computationally complex thought um, that could be affected by that. I should also say that there are other very eminent neuroscientists who would argue that this stuff is task specific and that the impact of using a lot of GPS is simply that you get less good at reading a map. So it's <laughs> right. by no stretch a kind of um, a done deal, this stuff. There's I'll, a lot of debate still going on. I'll say my uh, my wife would tend to agree with Dr. Hart, at least on that. You know, I'm, just, I'm a slave to that GPS and following the directions. And, you know, sometimes she'll tell me, she's like, she's like, don't you know where you're at? Like, can't you figure out mm. a better route off of, out of nowhere? And I, I don't know. I've just uh, I've rely so much on the GPS there. But, uh, you know, so a lot of what these experts say, right, if we're not using our memory, actively using it, it's like a muscle. I mean, it's going to wear out. We're not going to really be able to make those connections. And you mentioned earlier, we're not going to be able to be moving things into longer term storage even. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is a kind of that's a real worry. Right. I mean, for me, I think. The biggest worry is definitely the interruption aspect of the whole thing. Like, I think it's still too early to say that there are definite kind of biological impacts, apart from the cortical thinning one, um, that w- that are going to have a big impact, right? Like, I think that we still don't understand memory, or at least the neuroscientists I spoke to are very clear that we're still at the beginning of understanding memory and how it works and which parts of the brain are, are involved in it and, and all that stuff. So... You know, a lot of this is kind of conjecture. 
um, apart from the very real things that we all experience, which is that we interrupt ourselves a lot. It makes yeah. it hard to have coherent thoughts. It makes it harder to be creative and focused and all that stuff. Um, and I think we all experience that. We all know that to be true. And so what would be really interesting as a kind of alternative experiment we could all do on ourselves would be to say, I'm going to use this thing less. I'm going to try right. and detach myself from it, which is so incredibly hard. I, mean, I should it, say also. Yeah. It, it seems like it's too late, right? These devices are so ingrained into everything that we do now. We need it for so much and rely on mm. it for so much, right? You know, that's why we always hear people talking about doing uh, tech detoxes and things like that, you know, getting rid of a lot of this stuff. And that's what some of the experts say, right? You know, what can we do to to avoid this stuff. And some say, you know, take these little technology breaks, you know, give the device a break. Obviously, that's hard in some professions and whatnot, but that's the advice. And that's what we hear all the time. That's why we see a lot of uh, these uh, device makers you know, like Apple and whatnot show you how much time you're, you're spending on apps now, it, it, trying mm. to help you monitor all this stuff. Yeah, but I'm not sure how helpful that is. I mean, it's, it's really good to know. It's really good to check up on the amount of time you're spending on your phone, for sure. And I I do it regularly, and I, it's terrifying and shocking every time. Right, exactly. um, you know, I should know. <laughs> I should know how bad it's going to be, and it's always really bad. But, um, you know, phones exploit our biology. Like, we were... We were designed to respond to the crack of a twig in the forest so that we really rapidly so that we could save ourselves from whatever predator might be after us because we're not particularly good at running or <laughs> or anything that would save us from a large um, animal chasing us. And so we needed to have those skills. That's what they were designed for. But phones have then been designed to capitalize on that. And that's why we find it so incredibly hard to give them up because they give us the dopamine bursts that we crave and they are literally built yeah. to attract our attention. Well, I wonder how many people out there feel like their memory has gotten worse if they have some of this digital amnesia just from reliance on smartphones. It's, it's an interesting question to put out there. Rebecca Seal, contributor to The Guardian. Thank you very much for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side -side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.